Jacob loved Joseph, and Joseph dreamed a dream. Aren't you tired of living a mediocre life, just, just getting by, just waking up to get by that day? Go to work and do your job and do your thing and, you know, go through in the family stuff and all that. Look, there's something bigger. And I'm talking about dream thieves. The first one that will try to steal your dream is when you doubt God's love. If you doubt God's love, you will live a low life. If you doubt God's love, you will live your life for the love of people. You will live your life to get approval from people. You will live your life to feel good about yourself. You will live your life to feel accepted. You will live your life to feel happy and to get somebody to approve of you and to stamp their hand of approval on you and you don't need their seal of approval. You got, when you got God's seal of approval, you don't need anybody else's. Let me tell you something. The love of God is what launches you into the purpose of God. It was, it was the Father's love that launched Joseph into his dream. It was the Father's love that launched Jesus into his destiny. It's time to get rid of a small God that can just, that can just heal one. We got to get rid of a small God that can just heal one thing. Because if he can heal one thing, he can heal it all. It, oh, God, if you could just get me through the day, if he can get you through the day, you could pretty much have a great year. If he has the power to get help, get you through the day. Oh, God, just help me power through the day. If he can help you power through the day, let me tell you something. He can he can help you get to the top of the mountain. He can help you to experience his absolute best, blessed life that you were created for. I don't want to live an inferior life to the life that Jesus has paid for me to live in. He's paid for me to live in joy. He's paid for me to live forgiven. He's paid for me to live healed. He's paid for me to live victorious. He's paid for me to live as more than a conqueror. And how do I experience that when I am looking diligently at what he's done for me? I will not fall short of the grace of God. But when I am looking and focused on what people have done to me, now I'm falling short of the grace of God because I'm putting more power in what they have done to me than in what he has done for me. Only you can alter your destiny by what you believe when something bad happens, what you believe when there's a detour, what you believe when there's a derailment, what you believe when there's a delay, what you believe when there's a disappointment. That's what matters most is not to try to live a life free from disappointment or free from delays or free from derailment. It's living a life of belief that God is good and the earth is full of the goodness of God and goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And when you believe that, no disappointment can stop you, no derailment can stop you. No jealous brother can stop you. No bad friend can stop you. No betrayal can stop you because God is bigger. He will right every wrong that people have done to you. He will right every wrong. When you really look at your life and you think about all the things that have happened to you, we got a lot of reasons to just throw in the towel. All of us have a lot of reasons just throw in the towel, man, this person betrayed me and this person mistreated me and I failed here and I failed there. But God has a bigger purpose and we need to see the bigger picture of his bigger purpose and no weapon formed against you can prosper. That doesn't mean that there aren't going to be weapons formed against you. It just means none of them are going to prosper. None of them are going to reach their intended destination, which is what prospering is. And so when he says no weapon formed against you will prosper in Isaiah 54, no weapon formed against you will prosper. That means there will be weapons formed against you and they will sometimes hurt you. 
and they will sometimes throw you off but they will not succeed at reaching their intended destination. And when you believe that, that's when the weapon loses its power over you. That's when what somebody did to you loses its power over you. When you believe that's not going to reach its intended destination, that's not going to ruin me. That's not going to defeat me. That's not going to destroy me. That's not going to uh, that's not going to damage me. That's not going to harm me. It happened, but it's not going to reach its destination and keep me. And what is its destination? Its destination is to prevent you from reaching your destination. The destination of that weapon formed against you is to prevent you from reaching your destination or your destiny from the Message Bible in Second Corinthians, Chapter six, verse 12. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in, Paul says to the Corinthians. Now, remember, the Corinthians, he's talking to people this area of the world in Corinth is the wealthiest area of the world at the time. So he's talking to the Corinthians because they now they had gotten to the place where they had so much success financially. Many of them were so successful financially, but they weren't trusting God. And he's trying to tell them, look, there's something much bigger than your financial success. There's something more important than that. And that's the kind of life that God wants you to live, the kind of fulfilled uh, desire filled uh, promise filled life that God wants you to have in every area of your life. He says, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open space, this spacious life. We didn't fence you in. He said the smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking to you as plainly as I can and with great affection, he says, open up your lives, live openly and expansively. Like, are you really willing to live an open life. What does that mean? That doesn't mean that you never fail. It doesn't mean that you go and tell everybody everything you've ever done wrong. Living an open life is being open to more that God has for you. It means to be open, live an open life where you're not holding on to the life you have, but you're saying, God, give me the life you have for me. You know, Jesus said, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, you'll find it. Now, that's not talking about salvation. Salvation comes by grace. Are we saved through faith and that not of ourselves It's the free gift of God. But the kind of life that God has for you is so much bigger than the one you that you are holding on to right now. And what you think, I can't let go of this this thing that I want or this thing that I'm doing or this thing that's 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 keeping me together. Like when I was when I was growing up, I couldn't fathom what my life could become. And I didn't I didn't plan anything. Like I've said many times, I didn't know how to build. I never once built a Lego set growing up. And so to 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 have built a church is only God only, only God. And, and God wants you to God wants to get you over into a place in your life where you can say only God could have done that. Only God could have done that. If, if it's kind of like your 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 blessing, kind of your thing, you did it 
and you just thank God for it. That, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a life that you have to stand back and say, only God, only God, only God, only God could have delivered me from that addiction. Only God could have given me that favor. Only God could have brought me the children that he's brought me. Only God, only God, only God, only God, only God, only God. He gets the glory when it's above and beyond what you could have come up with on your own. He gets the glory when the only one we can point to and say he did it. It's because of him. That's what I'm talking about. That's what we're talking. about. That's what Paul's talking about is not living your life in a small way. You say, yeah, but what does that mean? I'm supposed to have a better business. I'm supposed to have a better job. Does that mean I'm supposed to have more money? Does that mean I'm supposed to have more friends? I don't know what it means, but it means to be willing to let go of what you hold on to. Once you've experienced God doing something miraculous in your life one time, you are from that moment forward, you are never settling for an average life ever again. You know, I got healed. I got healed once of some illness. I know it was I know it was a miracle. I know it was a miracle. And God spoke to me and he said, I healed you. And it was obvious that nothing else was doing it. The doctors couldn't do it and I couldn't do it. Nothing. Time wasn't doing it. And when when God healed me that day from that from that moment forward, I knew that I could lay hands on the sick and they could recover because I knew healing was real. You know, you could you could try to pull scriptures out of context and tell me, well, what about this and what about this and what about what about uh, Job and what about, you know, Job? What about Job and what about Paul's thorn in his flesh? You, you know, that's some people make these arguments. Like you're it's too late. I've already seen God do it. That argument doesn't work because it's out of context. Number one, if we're really going to read the Bible correctly. And number two, I got healed. So you can you can say, well, God doesn't do that. God really isn't into that. God, sometimes God says yes. And sometimes God says no. Show me in the Bible where sometimes he says yes. And sometimes he says no. See, I want you to get to the place where you realize how big God is and how big God's plan is for your life. And no matter who you are, it doesn't matter to me if you're a 20 year old with, you know, with every every problem you could ever imagine or an 80 year old with every problem you could ever imagine, because the the people that have done great things didn't only do them when they were young. They didn't do them the first time. Thomas Edison had 7000 or 11000 experiments until he finally got it right. And he said, I just learned 11,000 ways not to do it. It wasn't something that um, was impossible for the person who believed. He believed and the Wright brothers believed they could fly. Nobody had flown before, but they believed they could fly like somebody had to take that first step. Somebody had to break that four minute mile barrier. Roger Bannister, I think it was somebody had to break the the speed of sound in a in, a, in an aircraft. Somebody had to do it and then everybody started doing it. But before the one person did it, nobody did it. And there's something in this life 
for every one of us that is meant for us to be the first one to do so that hundreds or thousands or who knows, maybe millions of people will do it after you. Yeah. Yeah. Why not believe that? Why not believe that? I believe that for your life. I believe every one of us has that kind of special purpose and special reason to be alive. All right. You with me? So let me go through a couple things to help you get this. Now, back in our other passage that we that we had as a our foundation, it was first Chronicles, chapter four, verse nine about Jabez. Remember, and Jabez was more honorable than his brothers and his mother named him Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. First Chronicles, chapter four, verse nine, because I bore him in pain. She said, uh, that's why I called him Jabez. And Jabez cried out to God and said, oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my border and nobody had ever asked this like this man had ever asked before. Nobody asked for this kind of blessing before. Bless me indeed. Now, God had promised it to other people and God had said it to other times. He said, we'll find in Genesis chapter 12. God said to Abraham, I will bless you. God said originally to Adam and Eve, uh, I I want to bless you and multiply you and I want you to grow and I want you to fill the earth uh, and and subdue the earth and rule the earth and have dominion in the earth. He, He told Adam and Eve that, but they weren't the ones that asked him. And he told Abraham and I'll get to that in a moment. He told Abraham, I'm going to make you great and I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing. But it wasn't Abraham who even asked. But this guy, he's he's something special like you. Who's going to believe that with me today? Because I'm actually naive enough to believe that God's talking to me when I'm reading this scripture. I'm actually stupid enough to believe this. And I know that God's going to be that God is going to honor my stupid. And he's going to honor your stupid, too, if you get stupid enough to believe this stuff. But nobody had ever said this before. So here's a guy conceived in pain, named pain, called pain. That's his name, which means limited. And he's like, I'm not settling. I'm not settling for what I've been called all my life. They call me pain. So, Lord, they call me limited. So bless me indeed and make me unlimited and and, and expand my border and enlarge. One translation says enlarge my territory. And so that and he says, and that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil, that it might not pain me anymore, that it might not limit me. You know what evil is? He said that you would keep me from evil, that it might not pain me. He's not talking about evil here is talking about the evil that limits us. Now, look, there are some sins that are evil. Hurting somebody is evil. Killing somebody is evil. 
right? We know there are certain things that are evil, but that's not the context of what he's talking about. The evil he's talking about here is the thing that would limit him. He's like, deliver me from evil. Deliver me from the things that would cause me pain, which the word pain means limited. So deliver me, Lord, from the things that are limiting me. That's what he referred to as being evil. And you got to start looking at the things that are limiting your life as evil rather than, oh, that's just life. That's just normal. No, you got to you got to see it like he saw it. He saw it as evil. Jabez did. And he's like, uh, uh-uh, I'm not having this stuff limit me anymore. I call it evil. Deliver me from this evil that's caused so that it doesn't cause me limitations anymore because I want to live an unlimited life trusting God that he can do more and bigger in my life than I could have ever imagined. You say, why? Because small thinking is selfish thinking. Small thinking is selfish thinking. Small thinking is me centered thinking. Small thinking is a godless way of thinking because God's a big God and he wants you to do big things because if you're just focused on self, then it's a self-centered life. So if I only have enough for self, then who's the center of that? Self is the center of that. That's why we've got to go bold and go big with God and be like, Lord, I'm going to be like Jabez. Bless me indeed. Bless me big. When he says indeed, the reason he used this word is because there was no punctuation mark to truly make the punctuated point and to exclaim and to declare and to be like, this is huge. So when he says uses the word indeed, it's not like, oh, bless me. It's not like, oh, God, bless all the people in the world. Anybody ever pray some silly prayer like that? Oh, God, bless everybody. I mean, I'm sorry, it's just not going to work because God wants specific. God operates in specifics. He operates in faith. He operates in you getting a hold of what you're asking for. And then you can ask it and think it and then he can do bigger than it. But you but you just say, oh, Lord, bless the whole world. Uh, How about start with bless me indeed in such a way that it is a mark in my life that only God can get the glory for that only God can get the glory for. Like most of us, we've we've been Christians maybe so long that we forget what we were like before we were saved. And that's not a good place to be to forget. You say, well, aren't we supposed to forget the past? No, we're supposed to. When he says forget those things that are behind, he's saying forget in the sense of don't be bound by them anymore. But it's always good to remember where you came from. It's always good to remember where God brought you. It's always good to remember how lost you were. It's always humbling. And it's and humility is a key to life to remember that you man, without Jesus, you were gone. You were a goner. You were gone and you were a goner. And we we forget that. That's what makes us our hearts hard. It makes us self-righteous. It makes us think we're better than somebody else. Nobody is better than anybody else. When I talk about going big and believing God for big things and enlarging our territory, it's not 
so that we can be bigger than somebody else is so that you can be bigger than you've been limited by. So you can be bigger than the past DNA that defines you and tried to confine you by how it defines you. And we have to we have to be willing to let go of those preconceived ideas of self and those preconceived ideas of of what the life is. You know, I want the life one day. I want to have the life. I want to have the good life. I want to have the best life. I want like we got to let go of what that of what we thought that looked like. Everyone in this room and everyone watching, I'm telling you, your life is meant to be bigger than what you think. And we are limited by how we grew up. We're limited by our pain. We're limited by our strengths and weaknesses. And whoever said that God was going to build your plan, build his plan for your life on your strengths. The fact is, is the Bible says he takes the foolish thing to confound the wise. He takes the weak thing to confound the strong. He's not limited by your weaknesses and he's not limited by your strengths. But if he has to take one of them, he'll take your weaknesses. If he's got to use one of them, he'll use your weaknesses. Because that's the way that he gets all the glory. And it's not like he's hogging it. Like I want all the glory because I'm just selfish for glory. It's because when we glorify him, it is then we are truly most fulfilled in life. Like we were wired to glorify God. We were created to glorify God. You're never going to be happy until you're glorifying God. You're never going to be happy until you do what you were designed as a creation of God to do, which is to thank the creator who gave you the life that you have. That's when you're really satisfied. That's when you're truly fulfilled. Until you until you're grateful for what God gave you and what God, the life and the opportunities that God gives you until you're grateful to him for it, you'll never be satisfied and you'll never be fulfilled. Not because God's like, you got a bad attitude. And as soon as you get a good attitude and really be thankful, then I'll really bless you. No, it's not because of that. It's because we're wired inside of our soul to glorify God and to worship him and to put the honor where honor belongs. At the cross. Where he paid the full price. And only when you are honoring him, are you truly satisfied? You know, I grew up going to a lot of rock concerts. I saw all these bands and 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 saw these rock concerts and and witnessed all the greatest music that the world could create. But none of it ever satisfied me until I used music to worship God. Because not because God's like, OK, good, good boy, good boy. You finally worshiped me. No, it's because it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with that's how we're wired. That's how we're created. And you're only satisfied in the deepest place of your soul when you truly glorify God and what glorifies God, he says, Jesus said in John 15, eight, by this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit, that you bear much fruit. And that's the demonstration 
that you're my disciple. In other words, you're like me. He's saying you're just like me when you're bearing much fruit. You're just like me when you're succeeding, bearing much fruit. You say, well, that's the fruit of it's not limited to anything. It's everything. It's the fruit of the spirit. It's the fruit of financial blessing. It's the fruit of healing. It's the fruit of healthy relationships. It's the fruit of winning souls. It's it's all of those things. It's not one and not the other. It's all of those things. And he said, this is what glorifies God, that you bear fruit that glorifies him because it shows God's nature is to always multiply us and make us fruitful in our lives and not to put us through stuff where we're in constant suffering and constant pain and we're in constant need and we're in constant struggle. That is not God's will. That is not God's way. Even the caterpillar doesn't struggle forever. He struggles for a little while, but then he emerges as a butterfly. And guess what? The struggle's over. That's God's way. And what our struggle is and what what causes our wings to emerge is to believe the impossible. It's to man, doggone it. Bless me indeed, God. Like, I don't want just enough to get by. I want enough joy to be contagious. I want enough love to melt the hardest heart. I want enough money to take care of the needy. I want enough to pay off the next church that we built. I want enough to do this. I want enough to go to missions. I want enough to pay for this. I want enough to to change the world, to reach the world, to get the gospel to every person on this planet. Like, that's what you're made for. But we're aiming so low that, man, we don't even we're aiming so low that we don't even know if we fell and hit the ground because we're already there. What was that? You fell. I didn't feel anything. That's because that's where you live. It's time to it's time to believe and take the risk that my God is faithful. He wants so much more for you. Referring back to 2 Corinthians 6, 12, your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. Small thinking, small requests, small prayers. See, what people are afraid of is asking God for something and then being disappointed. Most people are more willing to just not ask so they don't have to be disappointed. I'd rather feel what it's like to be disappointed by asking big and believing big because I know what it's like to go without and I know what it's like to lose and I know what it's like to fail and I'm not okay with that. And I know what it's like to be average and I'm not okay with that. And the only If there's anything good in my life, it's got nothing to do with me, but it has something to do with what God was willing to do in me if I trusted him. And if I asked him. And it's just small thinking is just suffocating the creativity out of you, the risk taking the dreaming. That's why the Bible says in Acts 2, 17, the young men shall see visions and the old men shall dream dreams. 
because and of course, he's referring to men and women. The Bible talks about in that same passage, sons and daughters. It's not it's not gender uh, specific. It's gender generic, but it's age specific. The young are going to see visions and have visions and have vision for their life. But even the old are going to still be dreaming dreams because we associate dreaming big dreams with kids. I dream to be an astronaut. I dream to be a ballerina. I dreamed. What did you dream to be when you were? Come on. What, what did you dream? Anybody want willing to throw something out there? Come on, Leon, football player. Uh, and, and you were in college and you were great. And then you caught some passes from me back in the backyard, bro. You know that. <laughs> I just throw it out there and Leon would get to it. It, was, it didn't have to be a good throw. It just had to be a throw. <laughs> but but some of us, we, we, we stop dreaming. We stop dreaming. Oh, that's for the young, because we when we're young, we do that. But it's not for the young. The Bible here says it's for the old. So in so Jabez says, Lord, bless me indeed. And, and, and that's not even a bless me indeed. And then and expand my borders. In other words, the, the lines that they drew around me. He's a stutterer. She's stupid. He'll never amount to much. She'll always be this. Those boundaries, those borders. No, man, you kick those things out and you kick those things open and you say, bless me indeed and enlarge my borders, enlarge my boundaries. I'm not going to be bound by those boundaries anymore. And God will use you. So I'm about out of time, but I want to just close with this passage in Genesis 12. And we'll we'll tie this together because this blessing, we have the right to ask God for this blessing the way Jabez asked for it. And he said, bless me indeed. We have the right to ask for it. So if you look in Genesis 12 real quick and it says Ab- it says Abram went from Egypt, him and his wife and all that belonged to him and Lot was with him. And Abram was very rich in livestock and silver. Excuse me, that's in verse 13. That's chapter 13. Excuse me. The Lord said to Abram in verse in chapter 12, verse one, go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Now, in chapter 13, he's rich because of what his obedience to God in chapter 12. But the the thing that God tells him to do in chapter 12 is he says, go forth from your country, go forth from your country. Now, Abram came from a land of um, of of scavengers. They were nomads. What nomads and scavengers did was they would they would go into an area of land that somebody had already cultivated and then they would live off of whatever was left over in the land. And that's the way that Abraham was raised. That's what he came out of. He was a nomad. That's what nomads did. Scavengers. And God said, leave your country, not because the geography is bad, not because you have to you know, never talk to your parents again. But he said, leave your country and your relatives because they imprinted in you mindsets that will limit you the rest of your life. And I need you to come out from that 
and break free from that so that you are no longer limited so that I can do something. To, I can put you in the land which I will show you. Leave your father's house to the land which I will show you. And then he says he describes what he will do. He says, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. So when he uses the word so it's put there to emphasize the motive and the reason that he, the, the first verse exists is so the second part of the verse will exist. He says, I will bless you so you shall be a blessing or the reason I want to bless you. Of course, he wants to bless us because he loves us. He wants to bless us because he's faithful. But he's saying here specifically, I want to bless you so you can be a blessing. Amen. And we've heard it a million times blessed to be a blessing. But we forget the context was God said that to Abraham. And he actually did it for Abraham. But here's the good news. And we'll close with this. If you go over to Galatians, chapter three, verse twenty nine, this God did for Abraham. But in Galatians, chapter three, verse twenty nine, it gives us the, the key, the secret, the guarantee of this kind of blessing that is available for us to ask for is if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs of the promise. So whatever the promise, whatever promises were made to Abraham, you're his seed. Why? Because you're Jewish? No. Because you were born in Israel? No. Because you belong to Christ. Then you are Abraham's seed and you are the heirs. We're the heirs of the promises. We're the heirs. And you know who we're heirs with? We're joint heirs with Jesus. He's the true seed of Abraham. And if we belong to him, we become joint heirs with him, as it says in Romans 8, 16 or verse 15 and 16. You, we are joint heirs. We are co-heirs with him. Like if we co-owned something, if I co-signed for your car, that means I own it as much as you do. So if you don't make the payment, guess who has to? Yours truly. That's why you'll never get me to do that. Hallelujah. <laughs> but if you if you own something jointly. So our house is jointly owned by Grace and me. So we're co-owners. She has every as much right to it as I do. She can't lock the door and say, you can't come in here. And then I got to go find a window or something or I got to go stay at Ron's house. <laughs> Get back in my old neighborhood. Uh, but. We're joint heirs and we're we all are joint heirs with with Jesus. And we have the right to be blessed with Abraham and everything God promised to him. We can ask God for that.
And that is what Jabez got a hold of. He wasn't even in Christ and God still honored his request. But we're in Christ. And so there's no rolling of the dice. There's no risk. There's just small thinking that is holding us back. So we're ditching that. All right. So when you stand up, leave your small thinking. Don't actually that wouldn't be good because I don't want somebody to get it and to get on them on Sunday. So take it out with you, throw it in the garbage, dispose of it properly. The re, not in the recycle bin. We want this stuff gone. <laughs> but let's stand together. Come on. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. And hey, if you got something out of this, remember to let Gregory Dickow know. You can hit him up on Facebook or Twitter at Gregory Dickow. He would love to hear from you. And if you know somebody who you know would be encouraged by this, share it. Share this podcast with them uh, and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss these episodes. And we've got more content coming tomorrow for day 17. Can't wait. We'll talk to you then.